Um, this presentation is kind of laying the groundwork for our semester. So this semester is responding to objections about the gospel. And so tonight is answering the question, what is the gospel? In order to do that, um, it's going to be covering the material in these two books, Why I'm a Christian by John Stott and Simply Good News by N.T. Wright. Both great reads, pretty easy reads, written at a popular level. So highly recommend y'all go pick these up. They're pretty cool. Um, so now when I say the word God, what comes to mind? Right? So most people I feel like in America would say something along the lines of an angry, maybe far off, kind of distant or aloof God, right? Someone that's kind of removed from our world, maybe created it, but didn't do much. Um, and others would say that that God doesn't exist, right? And those people would be right. That God does not exist, right? That is not the God of Christianity. Um, so if that's not the God of Christianity, and that's how people label Christianity, what is Christianity, right? Um, so most would say that Christians believe that there's an angry God who, you know, doesn't, made a set of rules and we broke him. So like somehow he's got to get his anger out. And so he like sends his son Jesus and basically beats him up, um, nails him to a piece of wood, like gets all his anger out. And somehow through that, we get free grace to go to a place called heaven where we get like fairy tale wings and a halo and we sing all day. Right. So that's the modern interpretation of what Christianity is. Um, but that too is not correct. So tough luck. Um, but Next, we're going on to what led up to the good news, right? Um, so you'll hear Christians use this word called gospel, which simply means good news. Um, and it's a proclamation. It comes from, I believe, the Greek word euvangelion, which is what people would like. When Rome won a war, they'd come in the streets going, euvangelion, euvangelion. I have good news. I have good news. Right? Let me tell you about it. Okay? Um, so what leads up to this good news that Christians celebrate? So first, it's a lot of messianic prophecy. And messianic, that's a big word. It basically means predicting the coming of a Messiah, someone to rescue the nation of Israel, God's nation. Um, and Psalm 1 is a great example of this, right? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So talking to Jesus in this passage and saying how he will make his enemies a footstool. So how the Messiah will come and conquer the world, right? Is that interpretation? So additionally, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus entered the scene, it was a pretty tense time, right? There was Roman oppression for the nation of Israel um, in modern-day Israel, I guess. Um, but what was going on in that situation was these Romans were heavily taxing their citizens, um, abusing Jews. And so basically think, you know, 1800 slavery, 1600 slavery, just 2,000 years ago, right? Um, same kind of oppressive dynamic. And so the Israelites are sitting there and they're awaiting a Messiah, someone to come and conquer the world and put the enemies under the feet of God. And so they're expecting a political revolution. They're expecting freedom from oppression, right? And a lot of this is influenced by the Exodus. And so the Exodus, if y'all aren't familiar with that, was basically where the Jews were slaves to the nation of Egypt. And God moved in a big way, sent a bunch of plagues that softened Pharaoh's heart and eventually led the Jews to freedom, right? And so... They, in a sense, were expecting God to move in a messianic way in a new exodus and free these people from the oppression of the Romans, right? So that's kind of what's leading up to the good news. 
And then what is the good news? One of the best summaries that you can find for the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6. And it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then in the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Right? So that's a, that's a big paragraph. Slides aren't supposed to have big paragraphs. I cheated. It's all right. Um, so we're going to break it down a little. Right? So big emphasis in this paragraph is for our sins. Right? Christ died for our sins. So what is sin? That's the first question you got to ask. Right? Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So sin is not meeting God's glory. The literal definition of sin is like when you're aiming at a target, Right? It's to, if you're looking at the bullseye, it's to miss the mark. Right? That's what sin translates to. And so we essentially miss God's mark. Right? Um, and so we've sinned. We're off of God's watch. Right? We're, not, we're not lining up to God's glory. Right? So what does that mean for us? Well, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So because we fail to meet God's standard, we deserve death. And death looks like eternal separation from God because we can't be in his presence. Right? Um, but if you look at the end of that verse, there's some pretty good hope in there, right? The good gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, and additionally, you might be like, why does God have to punish sin? That doesn't seem like a nice thing to do. God's loving. Why would he do that? Um, Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience they will be made righteous. And so by Christ's obedience and going to the cross, we have righteousness through him. And it's the same idea with Romans 3.26, that it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and be justified, the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, so God is just in providing a sacrifice so he doesn't let sin go unpunished. Just, just like you and I think crime shouldn't go unpunished, right? I would assume that's the majority um, opinion. But God is just in providing the sacrifice so sin finds its punishment, but he also is loving in providing that sacrifice, right? So that's the basic of sin. And the other thing about the gospel is it's supposed to be interpreted through the big picture of the entire Bible, right? So a lot of people will just point to that one paragraph or just say, God loves you, Jesus loves you, right? And yes, that's a shadow of the gospel. But if we want to understand the entirety of the gospel to set us up for a good semester, we need to understand the big picture, right? Um, so as you can see in 1 Corinthians, it says Christ died for our sin in accordance with with the scriptures, and he was risen on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, right? And so we're, he's referencing these scriptures, and Paul, at the time of writing this, would be referencing the Old Testament solely, not anything in the New Testament yet. Um, and so the gospel is look, supposed to be looked at through the lens of the Old Testament, and you can see it through God's covenant with the nation of Israel, um, whether it's a covenant to Abraham or Moses um, or Noah. Whatever covenant it is, we see God's faithfulness throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, right? Um, and then we also see really, really cool messianic prophecies like Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Um, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people, right? Um, so we see God's design all the way back in Jeremiah, which is hundreds of years before Jesus' time, to have a redemption plan for us, right? And that's sweet news. That's good news, you might say, right? I kind of like it. Um, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, I think is a really cool verse to put up next to us. So Galatians is written after Jesus, I think 50, 60 years after Jesus was born. Um, and so it's hundreds of years after Jeremiah. But it says, but when the fullness of time came, 
God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And so what do we see? We see God sending forth a spirit of his son into our hearts. It sounds a lot like Jeremiah when he says, I will put my law within them and on their heart, right? Um, there's actually a couple points in Scripture where Jesus is referenced as the very Word of God. Um, and as you can say, the law of God. It's kind of nifty. The Bible works together. It's pretty sick. Um, so additionally, we're supposed to look at it through the lens of the Old Testament, but we're also supposed to, supposed to look at the good news of Jesus through the lens of what is to come, right? Um, and so... We, like we talked about at the beginning of this, we kind of have this distorted image of heaven, right? A lot of people's like, oh, heaven's just kind of like some like spaced out place where we like float around and it's really golden and there's a lot of diamonds and I get my wings in a halo, right? Um, but that's not a biblical depiction of heaven in a lot of different ways. Um, so Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Okay. So this is cool. I learned this like two weeks ago. It's pretty sick. Um, you got to focus on the firstborn of all creation. All right. Um, so then 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 describes this current world, the current heavens and the earth is what the scripture says, being consumed by fire and God creating a new heavens and a new earth. Right. Um, so that's obviously talking about in times eschatology, if you're familiar with that word. Um, and it's really cool because look, so Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, right? So when God created the world in Genesis 1, what did he say? Like he looked at his creation and he said, it is good, right? Um, and so <laughs> um, creation was good at the start. And then we brought sin in and corrupted it, right? And when we corrupt it, it that leads to death, right? For the wages of sin is death. Um, but the cool part about this is Colossians 1.15 is the firstborn of all creation, so I want you to think of redeemed creation, right? Jesus' payment on the cross doesn't just cover our sins like we like to think of it or our blood, but he actually goes and he redeems the entirety of a broken world, right? So the creation that was lost um, way back in Genesis 3 with the fall of man, right? And so Jesus is the first kind of stake in the ground um, of this new creation, and it's kind of the promise we get to hold on to until the rest of creation is restored. So that's really cool in my opinion. And Revelation 21, 22 is just like the depiction of the new heavens and the new earth. If you go read it, it's pretty cool. Revelation's trippy. Highly recommend it. Um, so in the Gospels, it talks a lot about the kingdom of God, right? And so when Jesus enters the scene in Mark 1, 15, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, right? Um, and he uses the word gospel, which means good news, like we've been talking about. And so... If the gospel is good news, it's not good advice, right? So one thing that I feel like we get mixed up a lot on is the fact that if the gospel's true, okay, if Jesus Christ really did, was crucified and was resurrected, right, then it's news and it's unavoidable, right? If I came in and told you that, like, China came in and conquered the U.S., like, you wouldn't be like, oh, I don't, I don't think so, so it didn't happen, right? That's not the appropriate response to news, News is like, oh, okay, I either have to figure out how to get with the Chinese government or I need to get the heck out of here, right? Those are the two responses. Um, and so the, the message of the kingdom of God um, is that the gospel is good news. And if it's true, we can't avoid it. We can't brush it under the rug. We can't ignore it, 
right? Um, and I would also argue that there's a good amount of evidence pointing to the fact that it's true. But that's another topic for another time. Um, today we're just talking about the gospel. So um, it's the, like we were talking about earlier, it's the image of God redeeming the entirety of creation and Jesus being the firstborn and the first resurrected and the first redeemed, right? Um, and that's why you see in the gospel this idea of kingdom come, right? Oftentimes, at least as Christians, I know the modern interpretation is like, oh, we're in a bad, broken world, and one day I will fly away to a much better paradise, and that's when all my issues will be solved, right? Um, I would say scripture argues I went somewhere. Hold up. There we go. I would say scripture argues that. Um, in Matthew 6.10, when Jesus himself is teaching man how to pray, which I would assume that most of y'all know this, the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Um, so we like to ignore that last part of the sentence, right? We like to ignore the on earth as it is in heaven part, right? Um, but the intention of that prayer is to bring the kingdom of God and God's glory and his presence and his holiness down to earth so that way it may dwell with us, right? Um, and that's what we get through the good news of the gospel. Um, and we get to be a part of that as living and active resources. Um, and additionally, John 17, three says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life doesn't start when we get to heaven. Eternal life starts with the moment you accept Christ. You get to step into resurrected new life, and you get to be a part of this new creation, right? Hoping and waiting for the day that we face an eventual resurrection, right? Um, so we're talking about heaven, we're talking about hell, all these different things. So what's eternity look like then? That's a Bible. Okay. Um, so what's eternity look like from the Christian worldview, right? Um, Luke 24, 23, 43, can't say that, um, says it's when Jesus is crucified, right? He's crucified between two criminals. One of them spits on him, cusses him out, all that stuff. The other one says, I know you are Lord, right? And I know you're the son of God, right? And what does he say? Truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise because you said this, right? And so seeing this, when Jesus says this word paradise, it's one of three times that it's mentioned in the New Testament. Only three. Like the Greek word is used three times. Um, and the other two, one is when Paul is having a vision of the end times, and the other is in Revelation when John's having a vision of the end times. And so it's like pretty, pretty big stuff, this word paradise, right? It's not something to throw around lightly. Um, so many would describe that and point to that scenario as life after death, right? Um, but... There's also this idea of resurrection, of a bodily, physical resurrection, right? And so Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And most people think that and be like, oh, I'm going to become a spirit, right? I'll like, it'll happen one day. Um, but when Jesus Christ was resurrected, he was resurrected into a physical body, right? Um, Thomas put his fingers through the holes in Jesus' hands. Jesus sat and ate and walked and talked with the disciples. Um, when he reappeared to them. So we're going to have a physical body in the resurrection for those in Christ. Um, and that's pretty cool, because then that's the life that comes after life after death. So eternity kind of looks like we pass away from this world, and then we get to spend some time in paradise, and then tribulation's over, the new creation comes in, and we get a physical resurrection, and physical bodies, and the Lord has restored his physical creation to be good, like it was in Genesis, right? Um, so... That's essentially what the, the gospel is in a nutshell. So now there's a couple of false gospels going around, so we're going to address those real quick. Um, the gospel is not an escape route. 
a lot of Christians, especially in, we live in a big old Christian bubble at A&M, right? It's Bible Belt. Um, but <laughs> the gospel is not an escape route, right? It's not fire insurance. You don't like get to roll up to heaven and be like, you know, I'll use one of these because I have to pick them up anyways. Um, Lord, I, I, I prayed the prayer like way back when I was like four and a half. I think I said something. I went to church. So I got, I'm good. I got my fire insurance. Um, that's not what the gospel is, right? Um, the gospel is counting the cost, picking up your cross, which is one of the most brutal forms of execution back in the day, um, and following Jesus. So losing everything to follow Christ. Um, and that's the only way you can find real life. And it's, it's a pretty rewarding life, I'll say it. Um, the gospel is also not necessarily an option if you feel like it's true. We were talking about this earlier with the idea of news. You can't escape news. News happens, right? We don't get to be like, oh, that didn't happen, like, especially with stuff going on in Afghanistan. If I ignore it, it's just going to go away. It's not how the world works, right? If the gospel is true, we have to address it. And we do get an option. We get an option to be on the winning team or not. Um, and Jesus, in his patience and in his grace, extends the gift of the cross to us. And so by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God actually raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you get this physical resurrection and you get to be a part of this new creation we're talking about. Um, and that's a pretty exciting thing, I'll say. Um, it's also not a new way of thinking. People like to take the, the Bible and be like, oh, the philosophical application of this passage, and Jesus here is a great moral teacher in this way, and we need to act like Jesus like this, but he wasn't the son of God, and he's not God. But he's a pretty good like moral teacher, pretty good prophet, right? Um, so it's not a new way of thinking. It's news, right? The gospel happened or it didn't, and if it happened, we have to address it, right? We don't get to take bits and pieces and adjust our worldview based off of that, right? We have to take it in its entirety or have to leave it completely, um, and it's not a social justice movement, right? I'm super guilty of this. Um, you can ask my friends sitting in the back row. I'm a fixer of everything. I'm an engineer. I have a savior complex. I'll admit it, all right? Um, so I like to fix the problems. I like to jump in and get in on it. Uh, <laughs> but I can't do that. I'm not God. I don't have the power to. Um, so it's crucial when we're living this Christian life and we're walking with God to remember that establishing his kingdom is a lot more important than us trying to establish his kingdom, right? And um, even today, I was talking about this in a Bible study an hour before this. Walking with God instead of walking for God is a really cool concept because the Spirit, like Galatians said, is sent to us to walk with us through life and shepherd us, right? So it's a pretty cool concept. Highly recommend checking out the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, get on it. Um, so none of these are inherently wrong interpretations in their entirety. Like, when you accept Christ and you have the Holy Spirit within you, you get a new way of thinking. You get to go help others, right? Um, you get to have the option to choose Christ. You do escape hell, right? These are all joyous things that we get to celebrate in the gospel. Um, but it's not the entirety of the gospel. And so if we whittle the gospel down to just one of these, we're going to lose it, if that makes sense. We're going to come up with an American Christianity softened version, um, than the actual biblical New Testament idea, right? Um, and so, questions you should have about this, right? If this is all assuming the Bible's true, I'll admit that. I haven't provided any historical or philosophical evidence for anything that the Bible claims. Um, we have videos on that. Go check out our YouTube channel. Go check out our podcasts. Go look for those. There's tons of resources. Um, like I said, I believe it. I think it's historically verifiable. So that's my opinion. Um, but other questions you might have about the subject matter. What happens to those that don't hear the gospel? 
right? Um, hell seems like a really unfair punishment if I just told a white lie, right? Why does Jesus dying on the cross pay for my sin? That seems really unloving of God, you know? Um, did Jesus actually do miracles? Because those seem to contradict science, you know? All of Christianity is based on the fact of breaking the laws of biology. That's a pretty crazy thing when you think about it, right? Um, so if that happened, then we have to address it because it's news, right? Say it with me. All right, that was great. You killed it. Um, so um, now we get to take action, right? Um, and so the action of the gospel is something that's really cool, right? Because guess what? Um, okay, I have to read these. I know they're like massive paragraphs, but they were literally just like such bars in the book, okay? So excuse me. Um, so it is vital that, we, um, that those who believe the good news work tirelessly for real and lasting change in individual lives, the church, and the wider world, constantly looking back to the original good news of the crucifixion, presents any sen- or prevents any sense of merely human achievement and constantly looking forward to the good news of the new creation um, prevents any sense of merely human ambition. Um, and so as disciples and followers of Jesus, we get to be sent out into the world, right? And we get to go do things with the Spirit for the kingdom of God. Um, and kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we get to be active members of bringing about this new creation, Right? But the issue is, if we don't, um, if we try to take it into our own hands, like some of these quotes are saying, like I was saying a minute ago, we're going to get really lost um, because we're not God. And we're going to hit a wall and we're going to fail. So that's what happens, you know. It's not cool to try to be God. Um, So, like, and like I said earlier, we're not waiting around on earth to be taken away to heaven, right? We're we're here on earth to do the Lord's work. Um, There's a question posed by a popular pastor. Y'all probably know him. His name is Jonathan Pakuda. Really small guy, like 6'7", has like 18 podcasts. It's cool. Um, But he always poses the question, if if heaven's real, okay, why are you not like snapped up at the instant of salvation? Like that would be so much easier, right? You become a Christian. You don't have to go through any more suffering. You don't have to go through any more pain, right? You just get to, boom, go be one with God. Right? So why the heck are we still on planet Earth if that's the case? Right? If we truly step into eternal life now, why do we do that? Um, and the answer is so we can do work. Right? Man was put in the garden in Genesis 1 to do work. Right? We're here to do work and to establish the coming kingdom of God. Um, and it's a privilege and an honor to get to be a part of that. And so I highly recommend it. It's pretty cool. If you haven't checked out the body of Christ, I would do that. Um, see me more after if you want to talk about it.